Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, that was good. You're awake. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Friends, it is a joy as well as privilege that is afforded to us to gather here in this place to enjoy the fellowship of God's people and to enjoy the opportunity to sing and to speak the praise of the living God. As we gather, just a couple of quick notes. If you're reading your bulletin carefully, which I'm sure all of you do, you'll notice that the person playing the organ is not named Nicholas. Her name is Susie. That's because Nicholas got stuck in Arizona and is not able to be with us today to substitute for Susie. So Susie is substituting for Susie. Thank you, Susie. Juan Carlos Acosta had planned to be with us, but he is not well today, so we are being led in worship by our four section leaders as well as some others, and they are perfectly capable of carrying on from here, so thank you guys for being here. And thank all of you for being here on this first Sunday of the year. Let us focus our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, our very souls as we ask the Lord to come and be with us and as we are called together in worship in words from Romans 13. We know what time it is, how it is now the moment for us to wake from sleep. The night is far gone, the day is near. Friends, let us worship God.
Amen. God's love in Jesus Christ has been given to us, and it is because of that reality and truth that we can come before God to confess our brokenness and our need of God's mercy and grace. In one voice and one heart, let us confess together. Holy God, righteous and merciful, cleanse our minds and free our consciences from the things that divide us from you. We have shut our eyes to your glory, our minds to your truth, and our hearts to your spirit. And yet we want to love you, Lord, to offer you true worship and joyful service. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins. And since all your paths are loving and sure, guide us in the way we should go and lead us to life everlasting through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, receive and believe and trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ that indeed the Alpha and the Omega has come. Not the Delta, not the Omicron, but the Alpha and the Omega who holds everything in between. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ loves us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Alleluia. Amen. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. God has given us peace with him and with one another. Therefore, let us share signs of God's love and peace with one another. Offer your neighbor that, those in person and online, let's share the love and life of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. It's so nice to see everybody getting along with each other. I don't know if that has to do with the fact that we're wearing masks and are far apart from each other, but whatever the case may be, we are happy to share the peace of Christ with each other. We try to do that in so many ways in the life of the church, so let me share with you just briefly for a moment some of the other opportunities that we have in addition to our worship to learn the way of Jesus Christ in the world. Our La Costa Glen and Wednesday morning women's Bible studies will resume this week at their regular times and places, but our Thursday morning men's Bible study is going to start on the 20th of this month, not this week. So if you're in any of those groups, uh, pay special note to that scheduling. Our adult Sunday Bible study group that meets at this hour will resume next week on its regular schedule. This coming Saturday at 2 o'clock, we'll have the opportunity to celebrate the life of Wallace McCoy here in the sanctuary. And of course, we will keep the McCoy family in our prayers as they prepare to remember and celebrate Wallace. I'm happy to report to you that our recent offering for tornado relief in the Midwest has received now a little bit over $46,000. And so you are to be congratulated for your generosity. And even more so, we continue to pray for folks who continue to struggle uh, with an outbreak of tornadoes in that region. I'm also happy to report that our alternative Christmas market has raised a little over $55,000. And those funds will be supporting many mission opportunities both locally and around the world. So we celebrate those things as we begin this new year. It is important that we also remember that when we come to worship, it is a, in a sense a physical offering of ourselves to God. That's one of the reasons that we physically gather as we are able or that we gather online, giving our time to God. 
One of the other ways that we offer to God is through the gifts of our tithes and offerings. And so now I invite you, should you choose, to come forward to the offering baskets to place your offerings there or to give in all of the other avenues that are available to you. In all of those things, the most important thing is that we remember to give ourselves back to the God who has given us all that we have. Infant holy, infant lowly, for his birth the cattle stall, oxen longing, little knowing, Christ the Lord is Lord of all. We are so blessed in so many ways, so let us come together to pray prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I will lead us in prayer and then invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Let us come before God. God of grace and love, God of the universe, holy and present, God greater than anything else above the heavens and the one with whom we have a beloved relationship, we give you praise, Father, for you have loved us with a love uncontained and demonstrated in your son's sacrifice for our lives. Because of your love for us, help us to begin each day anew with resolve to embrace your leading in our lives. Lord of mercy, hear our prayers for all those who lost loved ones this past year. Let a new dawn of faith and promise guide each of us, knowing that you will one day call us all together unto yourself through our Savior, Jesus. As we begin a new year, let us leave behind anything that would hinder our faith and hope. Even in the midst of lingering viruses and news of destruction through fires and other calamities, through violence, we nevertheless have hope and faith. Today, whether here physically or online, we give you thanks that we will share together your bread of heaven and your cup of salvation. We will partake of your promise and renew our trust in you, God, who is before all time 
and always present. As we move into 2022, Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide our lives, convicting us where we are at fault and renewing us to live purposely in our faith and lives. May we reflect your Son facing all obstacles as opportunities to trust you through whatever we encounter. Lord, strengthen the Christian communities to move as one for the good of the poor, oppressed, and downhearted. Give hope to those who are isolated by bringing us to them. Let us not neglect the least of these, but open our doors, find a space for them in our lives. As we move forward in this community of faith, equip us in word and deed with the empowering of your Holy Spirit to do your will and walk in your ways. Holy Spirit of God, so infuse us with your presence that we are known to be a people of peace, faith, love, and hope, doing whatever is pure, kind, generous, lovely, and praiseworthy. We ask in the renewing work of your Holy Spirit as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I wonder if you've heard the story of little fame and lesser glory night the keeper of the inn, a little town of Bethlehem, encountered Joseph and his Mary, about to birth the Savior of the world. His wife said, go and see who's knocking. He ran down to the gate, unlocked it. The moment he heard Mary's cry, he couldn't look them in the eye. Denied the man went back to bed When his wife asked who was there He said I don't know Just a girl Just a couple gypsies begging at the door Told them we don't have room for any more Close the door With just a girl Tried to sleep and wasn't able He stuck out to the dirty stable The two had found for covering And laid her in a suffering The keeper knelt outside the barn And in the light of that great star He prayed, what have I done? He's just a babe Just minutes old there trembling in the hay I could have found a room for them to stay I'm so ashamed He's just a babe There was no room There was no crime 
the shepherd stood on royal ground the keeper Just a king, just a million angels crowding in to see Jesus there among humanity. Just a babe, just minutes old there trembling in the hay, staring at his mother in the face. She's just a girl. Just a girl Does she even know that she just changed the world? Does she even know that he will save the world? Does Mary know that he will save the world? She's just a girl Just a girl That's one of my new favorite Christmas songs. Friends, stand with me so that together we may give our full attention to the reading and the hearing of the Word of God as we find it recorded in the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you are wondering why we even bothered to stand for just a few phrases of scripture reading. And more of you may be wondering about whether or not we realize here at the Village Church that Christmas is over. Actually, Christmas is not over. We'll talk more about that. There is a portion of the Christian family, the Eastern Orthodox family in places, that uses a different calendar, one originated under Julius Caesar, And according to that calendar, Christmas will be on January 7th. And so if you still have not gotten your Christmas shopping done, there is time left. (laughs) Some of you need it, apparently. (laughs) Christmas is not over for those folks in the Christian family. And truth be told, according to the ancient tradition of the church that many still follow, Christmas only began on December 
25th. Now I know, in our culture, Christmas begins the middle of August when all the Christmas stuff gets put out on the shelves. And by the time December 25th comes, we're sick and tired of the holiday and ready to move on. And in fact, much of our culture does move on. And by the time the 26th comes around, all the vestigial remnants of the celebration are gone. Much of the celebration in physical form is gone from here. We don't have the Christmas decorations up anymore in the sanctuary or out on the patio, but how many of you noticed that the nativity scene is still there? There's a reason for that. Now, maybe you don't care very much about the fact of ancient tradition or tradition in other parts of the Christian community. But maybe you care about this fact. Maybe you want to know why it is that we have that old song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Do you know why we have that song? Is because in the way Christmas was celebrated in much of the church for many centuries is that you started on the 25th of December and for 12 days you celebrated Christmas. Right now, I guess, would be somewhere around the lords are leaping, ladies dancing or something going on. I know we're past the five golden rings. Well, there are lots of reasons, not just from the history or liturgical tradition of the church, to keep thinking about and to keep celebrating Christmas. And that's what we're going to do here for a few more weeks. For a few more weeks, we are going to keep looking at the stories, particularly as they appear in the Gospel according to Luke, the stories about the birth and the childhood and then the entry into adult ministry of Jesus. They're important stories. They tell us a lot, but too often they are glossed over because the culture on December 26th moves to a conversation about New Year's. I was watching the Rose Parade yesterday morning and thinking, you know, everybody has moved on. It's not Christmas anymore, but it's still Christmas as far as we're concerned. And so we're going to look at another one of the characters in the nativity scene today, someone who does not usually get very much attention. We're going to look at the innkeeper, the innkeeper. Now, just like Herod, you're rarely going to see the innkeeper pictured in nativity scenes, maybe because that's, we sort of consider him to be one of the villains of the story, just like Herod, right? He's the cold, heartless guy who turned away this poor young couple about ready to have a baby. How could he do such a thing? That's sort of the opinion we have of the innkeeper. The song that you just heard, the beautiful song, talks a little bit more maybe about what was going on in the heart and mind of the innkeeper. But let's go a little bit deeper than that. In fact, let's go a lot deeper than that. One of the fundamental thoughts tenets, principles of the Christian tradition from which I come is that we must spend our whole lives looking at the words of Scripture, trying to understand what the Bible actually says to us. And that principle is no more important than when we begin to look at the innkeeper in Bethlehem. Before we do that, Lo, let's talk for just a minute more about what we think we know about the innkeeper. We think that the innkeeper was the night clerk at the local Holiday Inn in Bethlehem when Joseph and Mary arrived. 
How many of you sort of picture the innkeeper that way? Right? Maybe it was a Red Roof Inn. Maybe it was a Howard Johnson's. Who knows? But, but the innkeeper is there, and he has a no vacancy sign out front. And when Joseph walks in and says, I'd like to get a room for my wife who's about ready to have a baby, he says, didn't you read the sign? Go away. That's kind of our popular conception, or at least mine, of what was going on with the innkeeper. We teach our children that the innkeeper said, sorry, no room. We do that at breakfast in Bethlehem here. We have all the kids assembled around tables and their parents and families, and we're having them help walk us through the Christmas story. And a piece of that story is when Joseph and Mary come out and wander around going from table to table asking if there's room at the inn. And we teach the kids to say, sorry, no room at the inn. And so Joseph and Mary eventually go and find a barn somewhere. That's the way we think of the innkeeper. I was remembering just the other day, it was either 1980 or 1981 at First Presbyterian Church in Germantown, Philadelphia, where I was a student pastor. And the children's ministry had put together a very traditional Christmas pageant. And they had built a stage set there in the fellowship hall and the kids were all dressed up and they started into the Christmas story. And Joseph and Mary came out and Mary had the obligatory pillow under her robe. And Joseph was leading her along, and he was knocking at door after door on this stage set, and most of the doors there was no answer. And finally, one of the doors opened, and there stood a little seven- or eight-year-old innkeeper. And Joseph said, do you have any room for us here in your inn? And the little boy said, there's no room in this inn, but would you like to come in for a drink? you got to admire the guy for trying, right? What does the Bible say? The record that we consider to be the accurate story, the truthful story, the authoritative story about Jesus. What does the Bible say about the innkeeper? Let me read for you everything that the Bible says about the innkeeper. Mary put Jesus in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's it. That's all we have. There is actually no direct mention of an innkeeper at all. And yet we think, because Joseph and Mary went to an inn, that the innkeeper said no. But that's only the beginning of the story. We need to go deeper and think more carefully about the words that are there, not just in the English language, but in the original Greek language and other languages that have been used to interpret this passage. There's much recent scholarship, and by recent in biblical studies, that means within the last 30 or 40 years. Much recent scholarship that goes back into more ancient scholarship that gives us a very different picture than the one you and I are accustomed to about where Jesus was born. What was really going on? Well, we are told by Luke that Joseph takes his little family to Bethlehem, which was his ancestral home. 
That's where Joseph's family was from. We don't know if Joseph was born in Nazareth. We don't know if he'd ever been to Bethlehem. But Joseph shows up into a small community where he would be considered something like royalty. Why? Because he was of the house of David. He was a descendant of the most famous, most popular king in Israel's history, the great King David. In the Middle East, memories are long and family is vitally important to everything about you. And so it's more likely that when Joseph showed up in Bethlehem, he wasn't a stranger from out of nowhere towing a pregnant wife, but he was someone who could walk into Bethlehem and say, I'm Joseph of Nazareth. And very likely, others there already knew him or certainly knew his family. And when he said, I'm of the family of David, he would, would have received a warm welcome. The people of Bethlehem probably received Joseph and Mary with at least the kind of familiarity that some of you have experienced when you go back to the old country in Western Europe somewhere or Central Europe somewhere and say, hi, my family immigrated from here two centuries ago. Can we stay with you for the next two weeks? It's also true that Mary had relatives in the region. When Jan talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, we read that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, Zechariah and Elizabeth being the parents of John the Baptist. They lived in that same region of Bethlehem. If there was no place for Joseph and Mary to stay, they could have gone, most likely, to Elizabeth's place. Now, I know you think that Joseph and Mary arrived in the middle of the night, and Mary was already in labor, and they had to find a place to have the baby. This is long before the Lamaze method or any of those modern things that help us have babies. But actually, the Bible does not say that as soon as they got there, they had the baby. What the Bible says is that when the time came for Mary to deliver, she had the baby. It's possible, and in fact, more likely, that Joseph and Mary had been in Bethlehem for a while already. Now, let's talk about the place where they were. Our popular conception is that they were rejected by the whole town, a cold, heartless town, not just one innkeeper, but a whole town that saw this woman having a baby and said, sorry, we don't have any place for you. And so they had to go find a barn somewhere, maybe break down the door, pick the lock, and go have Jesus in a barn. But that's actually not what the Scripture says. Here's where it's so important for us to learn the culture and learn the languages. I'm not going to bore you with the actual Greek words. If you'd like to hear them later on, I'd be happy to share them with you. But the word that Luke uses to say there was no room in the inn is not actually an inn. The word actually refers to a guest room. And this is not an Airbnb. This is a guest room in a house. There is a word for an inn in Greek, but that's not the word that Luke uses. Luke uses the word for a guest room. And so it is very likely that Joseph went to Bethlehem and went to the home probably of a relative. And because a census was being taken or for whatever other reason, the guest room in the house was already full. And so Joseph and Mary had to stay in the great room of the house, which really was the only main room of the house. 
where everybody else was. Joseph and Mary did not stay at a public inn. They stayed in a private home. And so, therefore, there was no innkeeper. Now, you might think that the next thing I'm going to say is that there is no such thing as Santa Claus. But I'm not going to say that. Let's go a little bit further with this story. The popular conception is that Joseph and Mary were put out in the barn with the animals. How cruel, how cold to put this young couple, this pregnant woman, out in a barn with the animals. What most people don't understand today in the Western world is that most people living an agrarian lifestyle actually had their animals living with them in their house. A typical house of that day was usually one large room where everything that happened in the family happened. The family slept there, they ate there, they stayed there. If the family had a bit more resources, they would have a guest room, so to speak. But part of the house, usually the house would be built over a cave or connected to a cave if it was out on the hillsides, which is where we think Jesus was born. Part of the house would be dedicated to the animals. The only way you could keep your animals safe at night was to bring them to be with you, close by. And one of the ways you stayed warm at night, especially in the winter, if Jesus was born in the winter, is by absorbing the heat that the animals put off. And so a very typical house in that day would have over on one side of the house, perhaps a little bit lower than the house itself, a place where the animals would be, would be brought at night. And then, of course, a place where you would feed the animals. That's what we call the manger. That's what we call the manger, the feeding trough, perhaps carved out of rock, perhaps built out of wood. And so the picture we have here is of Jesus' family being taken into the home, and the guest room is already full of people, so they stay in the larger room where other members of the family already are. And when Jesus is born, they find the the nearest, closest, actually most suitable and acceptable place to put the little baby, which is in a small box. My first wife, who left us many, many decades ago now, was born in a home where the family was getting ready to move, and so the first six weeks of her life, she lived in the bottom drawer of the chest of drawers. Anybody here put in the bottom drawer of a chest of drawers when you were born? One, two, maybe three? It's not such a big deal that Jesus was put in the manger. Put in some clean straw, keep the animals away, we're golden. Now that's a very different picture than the picture that we have, the picture that was developed over the centuries by a lot of folks who were not reading the scriptures carefully or knew nothing about Middle Eastern culture. And so why should we even talk about the innkeeper at all. Can we simply dismiss that whole story and in dismissing it say that the Bible isn't true? No, we just have to say that we've learned something new about what the Bible actually says. But I don't want us to give up on the innkeeper. Why has the innkeeper become so popular in our imagination, in our beautiful songs? I think we like to think of the people who did not accept Jesus as the villains, and aren't we great people because we have accepted Jesus?
But there's more to it than that. We need to understand that Jesus was born into a loving family of parents, Joseph and Mary, and probably an extended family as well. But that then over the course of his life, he discovered, and maybe he already knew, that a lot of folks would have no place for him. Matthew and Luke report to us that Jesus once said to his disciples that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When John was trying to describe to us who Jesus was in the great prologue of the gospel that we always read on Christmas Eve, John says that the world did not know him and his own people rejected him. John wasn't thinking about the fact that Jesus was turned away from the inn. He was thinking about the fact that his own people did not accept that he was their Messiah. His own people actually crucified him. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. The story about the innkeeper is easy to believe and even if it's not quite true, it is consistent with what we know about how Jesus was received and accepted into the world that he was sent to save. Or, let's say it this way, how he was not received and accepted. And that's where the question actually is. I don't really care much if there was an innkeeper or not. What I care about is the simple truth that when Jesus comes into the world, people have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to make a place for him. A place was made for him somewhere when he was born, but it was a humble place, not the place where a king should be born. And then from the rest of the story, we learn that Jesus did not have a place in many people's hearts. And what we learn from the rest of the story about Jesus, which is why we need to keep thinking about Christmas, is that Jesus confronts everyone with that question of whether or not we'll make a place. You see, we have learned, we who have made a place for Jesus by coming to this place to worship, by spending this time in worship, we have learned that there is great blessing to be had when we make a place for Jesus. And there is great blessing to be lost when we do not. Forget about the innkeeper. Focus on these words from the seventh verse of the second chapter of Luke. There was no place. Millions of people will celebrate Jesus' birthday simply because it's a great excuse to have a party. Millions of people will decide it's time to pay attention to Jesus when they get close to the end of life and they need to worry about how they're going to squeak into heaven. Millions of people will pay attention to Jesus only when life gets so hard and nothing else is working that they have no other place to turn. Millions of people will struggle to put Jesus in the middle of their lives rather than out on the periphery somewhere in a manger. I'm one of those people, and so are you. 
Sometimes it's easy to forget about Jesus. It's easy to say, Jesus, I'm too busy for you right now. We'll pick up later. And so I can identify with the mythical innkeeper. I can identify with those who say we're not so sure about Jesus. I can identify with those who say I want to follow Jesus and I need to be reminded every day, every hour, that my maker and my savior needs to be at the center of my life. I struggled for a couple of months about whether or not to preach about the innkeeper today, but he's the perfect guy to preach about whether he existed or not because the innkeeper asks us a question. Is there a place for Jesus in our lives? The answer needs to be yes. And it's a great question to ask and a great question to answer as we begin a new year together. And so we come to this table then to this place where we remember that Jesus came into our world and offered us a relationship with the living God of the universe. That Jesus came into our world and offered us the opportunity to have our sin forgiven, to have our past erased, to have a new future and a new life being made again into the beautiful creatures that God designed for us from the beginning. And so ministering in his name, I invite you to come to the table where he has made a place for you and me so that we can give him the central place in our lives today and always. Amen. Friends, we give to you that which we have received, that on the night of his arrest, our Lord Jesus Christ, being with his friends, took bread. And after giving thanks to the Father, he broke it, gave it to them and said that this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup, of the bread that is, together. In the same manner after supper, Jesus took the cup Having given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And each time you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember Christ's saving death until he comes again. Let us as a community of believers take together the cup of salvation. We join in thanksgiving. Please join me now in prayer. Most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks and praise for this holy meal and for the giving of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who showed us the way and is indeed the way, the one who showed us truth and is indeed truth, the one who gave us life and is life itself. We thank you for all the many ways, O Lord, that you show forth your love to us. Thank you for your generous heart that is always open to us. Help us to open our hearts and our lives to you. For we pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Heaven's arches rang when the angels sang, proclaiming thy royal decree. But in holy birth thou didst come to birth, and in great and regulations of the Homeowners Association where we live state that all holiday decorations must be removed from the exterior of your premises no later than January 10th. That's fine with me. What concerns me more is whether or not Jesus is removed as well. In my house, we have several nativity sets that are up the whole year round. And that's not because we don't have a place to put them in the garage, but it's because we want them right there with us, just as a reminder that the living Lord Jesus Christ is here, present, always. There's the challenge for us as we begin this new year to live in such a way that continually welcomes and invites and makes room for the one who has given us life in the first place and who calls us to have life abundant. Yes, Jesus, there is room in our hearts for thee. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and tomorrow and the day after that for all the days of our lives. Amen. <laughs>